Hi, I'm Sam Barclay. Welcome to the Hidden Japan podcast. Japan is often portrayed as a land of kawaii culture and cat cafes, of samurai and shinkansen, of workaholics and weird food. On this podcast, we leave those stereotypes behind and explore the diverse experiences of people who have seen this amazing country in extraordinary ways. But just before we jump into today's story, I'd like to mention Hidden Japan Travel, who sponsor this podcast. They're an independent tour operator based on the island of Shikoku. They provide private tours, outdoor adventures and cultural experiences there. From cooking with locals and cycling to volcanoes to wild camping and sea kayaking. They've got loads of great one-day and multi-day options for you to leave the big city behind and truly see Japan differently. You can see more on their website, hiddenjapantravel.com. On today's episode, we talk to Jess Brown, who is an apprentice at one of Japan's premier drumming groups. Trust me, she has an incredible story, and it's not to be missed. So let's get cracking with today's episode of the Hidden Japan podcast. So Jess, hi, and thank you, and so, thank you so much for, for joining us today. If you could start just by telling us a bit about yourself and, and your kind of your connection with Japan. Okay, um, I'm Jess Brown. I'm based in Edinburgh, Scotland. I actually grew up in East Anglia in England. Um, I went off to Japan on the JET program originally in 2000, meant to stay for a year, but ended up staying for five years, three of those on JET and uh, the rest of the time doing something a little crazy, which I think we're going to talk about anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm really interested in that in that crazy time where if, you, if I'm, I'm right in saying that you played for Drum Tao and you, you trained with them. Uh, on yes. the island of Kyushu, if that's right. Yes. Um, so right. for those for those who don't know, who are Drum Tao and what is Taiko? So Taiko drumming is the traditional Japanese uh, style of drumming that became a theatre kind of art about, well, it must be about 60, 70 years ago. When I first arrived in Japan, I wanted to do something cultural. Uh, I started doing karate and then somebody suggested that I might enjoy Taiko. And uh, so I started going to a local group um, and playing every week. And they were friends with the members of Tao because it was actually in the same town. And that's how I got to know Drum Tao, who are incredible, mind blowing and just, yeah, an amazing bunch of people. Absolutely. I love them as well. I've seen them play a number of times and have been really moved by their performance. So I suppose playing taiko is not unusual for, for people who live in Japan, but perhaps playing for one of the mm-hmm. premier taiko teams in Japan is quite an unusual thing. So how did you end up playing with them and, and what was it like? Yeah, it was, um, I did a, a apprenticeship with them. So I, the, my actual apprenticeship was four months long, uh, at which point I realized that it was it was not for me. Um, it, it was insane. So I'll, I'll rewind a bit, though, back to the group that I started playing with. Um, they were friends with them and the members would actually come along to our little group 
to teach us some of the songs. You know, this was back in 2000, 2001, and Tao began in the mid-90s. So, um, you know, they were still kind of in their first few, year, few years. Uh, so I got to know some of the players. Then I would go to watch them play. But it was in their local resort. They had a place that they built themselves. It was looking over a golf course. It's in the middle of nowhere, as you pretty much have to have if you play drums all day long. Um, and they would have shows there. And it was actually you could stay overnight if you wanted you could go for dinner stay overnight the next morning they woke you up with a sunrise performance oh, and there was a, also a performance in the evening I forgot to mention because I lived up the road I didn't tend to stay overnight although I ended up doing quite a lot because uh, I was pretty much a stalker fan um I would go along watch the show in the evening and hang out with them because they would then serve drinks they did everything you know, you would get there. They were the ones that prepared the food. They were the ones that served the food. Then half of them would stay and talk to you while the other half went down to the live house to get ready to perform. Then you would be escorted down to the live house. You would watch their show. And afterwards, you'd go back up to the live house. And they were already, sorry, go back up to the bar, the main area. And they would already be there, ready with their shakers, making you cocktails. It was just, it just blew my mind, you know. And, and you would get your drinks and they would come and sit with you and chat to you and get to know them. And um, I went, I wanted to go and have that experience so many times that I would uh, buy tickets to it every time it came around. Buy tickets to their big shows in Fukuoka and Oita anytime those came around. But I didn't want to go on my own. I didn't want to be the stalker foreigner crazy girl who just went to all these shows on her own so I you know so that I didn't want so that I didn't feel as much of a crazy fan I would invite friends along I talked about Tao non-stop and I told everyone in the community about this group how they had a show coming up I could get them tickets did they want tickets how many tickets did they want oh they should bring their friends oh is there a new jet in town you should bring them along and I would turn up with 20 people to each show you know that of course gave me a lot of kudos with the group and they would call me directly to tell me that they had a show coming up and there were 20 tickets did I want 20 tickets and I would just say yes and then I would go out and find 20 people for those 20 tickets you know so I became kind of like this marketing magnet person for them you went from chief stalker to chief salesman overnight <laughs> exactly and I and I was you know I was I loved them so much that I was just promoter of them it was all I talked about so one night I was at the bar at the resort having watched a show and one of the other fans was chatting to the performers and asking about their festival coming up in the summer and they were doing a festival at the resort and she mentioned how she was going to volunteer, you know, just tear ticket stubs and direct people and things. And I just told them, well, I'm doing that too. I said, I'm, I'm coming. When, what do I do? You know, what, what time do you want me to turn up? I basically told them I was going to be there. So they just laughed and said, okay, yeah, fine. That's, that's fine. Um, so they, they invited me to be a volunteer, which was a dream come true because I got t-shirts 
with festival, talking about the festival, you know, it had staff written on them and stuff. And I got lanyard, all that exciting stuff. And uh, whilst I was doing that, I was standing and talking with the managers who worked in the office. They were, had come down from Fukuoka to Kuju. And one of them said to me, you should come and work for us. And I said, oh, I can't. I'm on the JET program. You know, I'm teaching. She said, oh, when do you finish that? And I said, oh, 2003. And she said, oh, well, after you finish, you should work. And I just thought it was a, you know, you should come work for us. You know, just a kind, oh, you're very motivated. Yes, it would be cool to have you on the team. But no, I didn't really think it was a real invitation. Anyway, things started to change after that. They would call me on the phone, I'd be at work, they'd call me on my mobile phone and they would ask me if I wouldn't mind looking at some English that they had written for promotional work. And it was for their American tours. And of course, I wanted to know what they were doing. So for me, that was like, of course, I'll look at it and check your English. So they would fax it over to my faxes, school. Remember faxes, yeah, okay. <laughs> faxes, fax it over to my school. I would run and collect it. And, and then I'd have a look at what they'd written and write some notes on it and then fax it back to the head office in Fukuoka. And there was one day that the, I got a phone call from the manager. And she, she said, thank you so much for that. That's really helped us. And I said, oh, no problem. You know, anytime I'm happy to help. And she said, oh, I've got somebody here who wants to speak to you. So I said, oh, okay. And she handed the phone to somebody and it was a man's voice. And he said, hello, this is the producer of Tao. This was the big boss, like Mr. Head Honcho. And I was very surprised that he was speaking to me and that knew who I was. Um, and so I said hello in my politest Japanese and he said um, what are you doing when you finish your job and I said oh well tonight I'm going to karate and he was like ha 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 no I mean when you finish your contract with that job that you're doing I said oh oh um, I'm not really sure he said oh well how about you come and work with us and I again was really surprised and is this for real you know and he said why don't you come up to Fukuoka to the head office and we'll talk about this then he invited me up so I, I wrote out a resume which I hadn't I didn't actually need to do at all uh took it up with me wore a suit and he, he just kind of welcomed me and they showed me around the office and um sat me down we had tea and cakes I looked at some English stuff for them and and then he sat down and explained to me what the managers did in the office and then he explained to me what the players did and the trainees did at the resort and then I remember he sat back in his chair and he said to me so Jessica what do you want to do and me being a cheeky bism said oh well I, I want to play taiko I like playing taiko so I want to play on stage with Tao so he laughed and said, well, we'll set up an audition for you then. That's kind of where it all began. It's amazing. So let's, maybe we can move to the, to the apprenticeship itself now. You said it was four, four months long. Is that right? So, yeah. The, so I had the audition and the audition was intense. Um, we had, I had a physical 
so they actually like checked me, my body and saw how far I could stretch and measured like what I could do. And um, then I had, I had been training for this because I was doing karate. So I had to do 200 sit-ups, 200 push-ups, 200 squats. Okay. That's um, me out right there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, I could do all that because of karate, thankfully. I had to run. They could, they could see how, you know, how well I ran. Uh, and then, then I had a playing audition. Now, I consider myself a slow learner when it comes to picking up a piece. I'm the last person to see how the piece fits together. It takes me a while. However, when I know it, my body knows it. I don't have to think about it. I can just play and, and communicate with the audience. And my arms are just and legs are just doing their thing. So the audition, unfortunately, was I'm going to play a thing. You copy me, which is my worst possible thing, because I was just like, what did you do? You know, just <laughs> I needed that extra time. So um, we did that, which was terrible. And then after that, they interviewed me. I say interviewed me, but actually what they did was tell me how rubbish I was, how it was going to take me years to get anywhere that I was, it was going to be really hard for me. I wasn't going to, I didn't understand anything. They just basically like down, 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 down. Was that brutal honesty or was it them just kind of testing your, your dedication and your willpower? I think it was a test. I think it was a test, but me being me, I was just like, I don't care. I'm going to be good. I'm going to be on stage. It doesn't matter what you say. I know I can do this. After them telling me I was rubbish, I, they told me it was going to take me a couple of years before I was even on stage. Um, and that I, yeah, I was just a really, I was really bad and they didn't see how I was going to get anywhere, but I just, that kind of fired me up even more to prove myself. I felt maybe cockily how, well, I have a background in performing arts and I have been on stage a fair amount so I have the stage presence yeah it was the, the actual sound that I make that wasn't mm. great but um I I guess I just had this confidence in myself that I could prove myself and don't forget I'd been in these yeah they were little town groups run by you know Oba Santachi group mm. and they'd all told me how good I was and they had me out on stage they had me performing they you know so I had this kind of confidence that I'd been had been instilled mm in me by them um I just didn't believe what they were telling me <laughs> it's like no I can do this also I was like 25 wasn't I so I had that 25 year old confidence but actually it was a crazy experience yeah how so so for me the killer was the sleep, sleep deprivation so for example a day in the life of Tao. yeah go on i'd love to hear this okay you would have if they were doing the shows at the resort you probably slept four hours a night most days you had to run so in order to fit in your run you need to get up early so it would be kind of like a 5 a.m 6 a.m wake up you go and run somewhere between 3k and 10k you get back to the resort and then if the practice area was available and not being used by the pros who were potentially perform uh, practicing for a performance then you would go into the the live house as it's called and you would practice just hitting 
in fact when I started I didn't even hit the drum it was totally karate kid wax on wax off stuff they were like this is I needed to stand in front of the mirror and just do the motions uh, but I don't think I hit a drum for the first two weeks which is really frustrating I can imagine yeah yeah so you go down to the pra- you've done your run you do go down to the practice room and you can practice that for as long as you can and then the you kind of get kicked out by the pros they come down apprentices are the lowest of the low therefore it was our job to make breakfast for everyone so we were sent up and we were sent to like cut up all the veg fruit mm-hmm. and veg you know it's japanese breakfast so it was it was rice and vegetables most of the time so we made the breakfast and then we were the last trainees of the last to sit down and then first to get up and clean up after everybody so you had to inhale your food and then clean up as as soon as everyone else got up then it was a case of washing up everything and then we had a meeting and the meeting we were given chores to do and these chores some of them I just (laughs) there was a chore that I had to do which was pick the dead grass out of the lawn so if the grass was yellow I had to pull it out would you just pick each blade of grass out individually? Well, it was a bit like that. It was kind of just pull up, yeah, pull up the dead grass. There was there was things like that. Just, I, oh, it drove me insane because I just thought, I just want to play taiko. Why am I doing all this stuff? I know what it was. It was, you know, it's to make you want to play taiko, right? By having you do, you didn't have time to play taiko because you had to clean the whole of the resort you know, it was cadgy uh, stuff that needed doing around the resort. So you do that up until lunchtime and then the trainees back in the kitchen making lunch for everybody. And then you clean up again, last to eat, first to clean up. And then after lunch, we'd finish off any housework we hadn't finished. Then it would be muscle training. Now, I had not digested my lunch yet. And I would be going down there and you're lying on your belly doing like hiking and fukin and oh my goodness, any of that muscle training with a full stomach, it's just, it's just the worst. After that, we would have power play. And this was, you actually got to play. They would put you on a drum, but we would basically be playing for two hours nonstop. But it would be, uh, I can't remember how many minutes, mm. but we might play five minutes as softly as we possibly could. And then we would play five minutes as hard as we possibly could. And, you know, there, there was a relief as you changed from one to the other, but the pain as you went through those minutes in either one, just like trying to make the softest possible hit on the drum for five minutes. And you, you start to see your whole back starts to seize up. Everything seizes right up. And then you're allowed to hit it as hard as you can. You're, oh, thank goodness. And you're hitting it as hard as you can. And then your muscles are just dying because they, you're just, yeah. So two hours of that nonstop. This was endurance playing. This was your hands are now bleeding. Are you going to stop? And it would be, I would have blood blisters, under blisters, and they would pop and they would go on the drum. And then afterwards, I'd have to make sure I cleaned the drum of my blood. You know, it was, it was, and if you were on Odaiko, the big drum, oh my goodness, that was, I remember doing it once and uh, my arms. And then after that, there might be some time to play some tunes some learn some tunes, but generally the trainees got kicked out of the live house so that the pros could 
rehearse and we were given access to a television screen with a video recording of their performances that was videoed from right at the back of the audience so there were these tiny little people on stage you could hardly make out their movements and that was how we were told to learn the pieces by watching these videos so we'd be up in the in the main resort yeah trying to learn the pieces without having access to drums and just watching a tv screen it was insane i'd obviously thought about what it might what it might entail but this is beyond anything that i would have imagined and um, you mentioned sleep deprivation so how many hours of sleep were you getting a night well so after we'd done that training would be lunch a dinner duty and dinner could well when the pros had done enough then they were allowed to come up for dinner but there would be times when we'd make dinner it would be ready we'd phone down to the live house and they'd say, no, the if the producer was there, no, the producer's not happy with what we're doing. So we have to play and they might play until midnight. And we've, we, we don't eat because we have to wait for them. Sometimes it would be 10 o'clock by the time we had dinner. And then afterwards it would be things like ironing the laundry or mending costumes. And, oh, there was one time I remember doing the sewing. We were mending mm. temaki or hachimaki or something the other trainee and i would have to watch each other because we'd fall asleep while we were sewing and the amount of times we nearly stabbed our own eyes out because we'd just nod towards the needle and that would be up until about midnight and then yeah then you'd go to bed and then you do it all again the next day wow so it sounds as if the kind of hierarchy of the players is prevalent throughout everything you're mm-hmm. doing yeah like if you're the apprentice you're you're doing all the cleaning you're yeah. doing all the cooking you're not really playing taiko yeah. uh, that much or maybe as much as as mm-hmm. you wanted to and it sounds like a lot of the training is trying to develop your your kind of willpower you know your your perseverance the idea of konjo yes. isn't it yeah. in japanese yeah it sounds absolutely. Uh, um, absolutely. So, kind of reflecting on it, then all these years later, what what do you think about that experience? How do you conceptualize it? How do you reflect on it? I can't believe that I did that. It, it took a long time for me to get over the fact that I left, like because being a part of that for nearly four months, you know, I when I decided that this wasn't the way I wanted to live my life. I felt nothing but guilt, you know, it felt like I was letting the team down. Uh, They had put their trust in me and I felt like I'd betrayed them when I asked to leave. Um, Yeah, for me, it wasn't, well, it was the sleep deprivation and, and all the crazy stuff that went on because of that, you know, really weird things happen to your body that I was hearing things I was seeing things it was just insane but it only really hit me when I wasn't allowed contact with family you know there were there were a lot of rules around what you could and couldn't do I had got a letter from my dad I didn't really have much contact with my family while I was there because I said I'm not really allowed to and my parents were like okay we'll just write to you I got a letter from my dad and like a ton of different things had gone wrong at home and people getting injured and hospital visits and things and my one of my grandmothers had had mm. a fall and uh i had mentioned to the tower drummers oh my grandmother's in the hospital they're not sure if she's going to make it uh, so i you know i might i might go back and visit her if i need to say goodbye and they said oh you so you're quitting and i said no 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 i've just i've just go and visit my grandma just to see her and they said no, you can't just go. 
on holiday and come back again if you leave you're leaving this is you know this is our life now this is we gave we gave up family we gave up friends tau is your family now wow tau are your friends now if you are with us you're not you're not going anywhere and i think at that point i just thought wow this is this is so much bigger than i thought it was going to be and i thought i'm a trainee now you know how easy is it for me to leave when when i become pro are they going to let me go are we allowed to leave? like how much notice do we have to go you know <laughs> i sure. you know when you have a job you have to give a month's notice in the uk but if you're in tau they you know their shows were booked 6 months maybe even a year in advance if i wanted to leave how long would i have to stay before i was allowed to leave and that that scared me more than anything because i felt really trapped oh i can totally imagine yeah so it was at that point that i i kind of realized that this isn't the way i want to live my life and i think they're incredible amazing uh, but i i can't do it and you know that was not something that i had really considered i thought about the physical stuff i thought about the you know the the performance stuff the you know determination but when it came down to actually living in one place never leaving it again that hit hard yeah i mean it's on the one hand it's it's incredible yeah. dedication isn't it extraordinary dedication yeah. to their craft but on the other hand you think well why is it necessary to be that dedicated oh, that's extraordinary so i mean reflecting on it now all these so how many years ago was this so that Jen? was 2004 yeah so reflecting on it kind of all these years later what what stays with you from that experience i still have dreams i still have dreams that i'm there i'm a player in tao or that i've gone back to japan and they have invited me to audition again or i've gone back to japan and begged them to let me in again and they let me in again it's crazy mm. like it hasn't left me i felt really bad for leaving especially as well because i left um and then two weeks later they were in a road traffic accident and one of the members was killed um so there was an incredible amount of guilt around that as well that i had that i'd left uh, not that you know that i was that important a member when i was there but just that I should have been there with them um, and I could have helped out when everybody was going through, when everyone was grieving. Um, yeah. Did it change your understanding of teamwork and what a team is? It certainly made me realise, I guess, what kind of a person I am. Mm. Um, I mean, I always knew I was pretty independent, but just their, yeah, their ability to to work together and well that's what makes Tao so amazing isn't it because on the stage they're just in it's so in tune with each other hearing about a day in the life it kind of makes yeah, sense yeah. you realize why that's yeah. the case so one of the themes of this podcast um relates to stereotypes and i don't know what you think but my feeling is that japan is often incorrectly stereotyped and there are projected images that don't really reflect the realities of the people who have lived mm. there is that something you feel? Could you relate that to your your experience of with Drum Town? So, of course, you've got the stereotype of the samurai warrior, and that was that was used within Tao. Actually, it was you know you need to be more of a samurai. Sometimes mm. I heard, um, but I think 
well, somebody said to me it's more monastic. It's like a monastic ex- um, existence that they have in the Tao resort. I, I just think Tao is very traditional Japanese. Mm. They are definitely seen by Japanese people to be quite extreme and mm. quite an old doing life in a very old fashioned way. So it was really interesting, especially because I had a host family who put me up before I entered Tao and after I left Tao as well. They, you know, looked after me and they would say, you know, the the way that Tao thinks is is very extreme and very, very traditional. And that's not how Japanese people live their lives today. So I had some interesting conversations about that. I think talking to people, I just got to know people. I didn't really get to know mm. nationalities, you know? Yeah. It was yeah. it was the people that that I spoke with and hung out with and some of them were more traditionally minded and some of them were very internationally minded. I think yeah, I saw a lot of interesting things. And I think that's it in a nutshell, isn't it? When you're living there, you see persons rather than people, perhaps, yeah, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Um, so when you when you left town then, ultimately, were you kind of excommunicated from the group or do you still Absolutely have contact not. with the people there? No, I still have contact with them. I'm still promoting them. You know, I'm still sharing information about their concerts and things. I'm still kind of obsessed with them. We went back in 2019 when mm. the Rugby World Cup, Cup was on. And we went and saw a couple of their shows. And I got to see one of the girls who was a trainee at the same time as me, who's now obviously one of the pro members. Oh, wow. I didn't actually tell you when I was in, I got on stage within two months when I was a trainee. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. And how, and <laughs> how, to tell us about that. So when we were, we there was a show in the local community centre. And before the show, there was a small section of one of the pieces that we had rehearsed and the producer got the four of us, there were four trainees, basically pitted us against each other. He said, we've got space for two of you in this part of the piece. Who's it going to be? And he had us do the piece, do the bit on stage in front of him. Like you do it now, you do it now, you do it now, you do it again now. You two do it now, you two do it. And he said who who'd made the grade. And it was always you were rubbish. This was rubbish. This was you know he was like very blunt. Oh, you could do better. Not much positive reinforcement. No, no positive reinforcement. It was like well, you were better. That you were less worse than this, less rubbish than this person. So you can do it. So uh, myself and Cookie, who actually left before becoming pro he um he and i got chosen to to be on stage so yeah. and how was that how was it when you're on stage it must have been pretty oh. emotional actually i mean you've worked that hard for two months you've you've slept four or five hours a night you've gone on runs you've made all this food you've practiced by watching video and you've gone all through this this yeah. power practice for, for two months and then finally you're on stage playing a piece i mean how, how was that jess it was just mind-blowing but also kind of just a big blur because it wasn't confirmed until I don't know a couple of songs before the piece and it was like right you're going to be playing in this grab your stuff and the interesting thing is as well because when you're a trainee you are helping with the merchandise stand and you are giving the pros their batchy behind the stage or helping them set up the drum you know you need to be Mm. you're on the whole time so we were kind of 
doing all that sort of stuff, like handing them a, a handkerchief to mop their brow and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then they're like, right, get your stuff, get ready, grab your things. And, and then you just go out. It's just such a big rush of things going on. You don't really have time to think about it. You're just, and now I'm out and now I'm dancing and now I'm playing the drum and then I finish and then I'm back out and now I have to go get this person's temaki and this person's whatever. And yeah. Fantastic. What a wonderful experience to be up on stage with, with drum Tauda. It must have yeah, been, it was. I mean, it's a dream. Yeah. Absolute dream. And it sounds like you're still, sometimes you literally still have those dreams. I, I am still having those dreams. I'll probably dream tonight now that I've spoken to you about this again. Whenever I look through photos and things, so yeah, for the next couple of days, I'm back there and it's, it's very bizarre. So just yeah. finally then, Jess, maybe we can think about, I mean, you've already talked about a number of really positive memories from that time, but mm-hmm. is there anything else, any kind of really positive memory that you have from your, your time with Drum Tao? Um, I think just the way that the members are just supporting each other. There's a little bit of competition, I'll say, within the, the trainees. Well, if everybody, I suppose, to a certain extent, because, you know, you, you'll be picked for a piece and you'll be dropped for a piece and, and people are brought on. Like, now you play it with these, this lineup and then I know that was rubbish. Now you play it with this lineup. So you were kind of pitted against each other a bit, but there were always, I'd say that they were always the caring members who looked out for you and there were definitely members who would you know be there for me and and gave me a hug and made me feel better about uh, something I messed up and in some ways um my my experience in Japan was really different but I similarly kind of can reflect that it was a real it's a privilege now when I think about life in Japan mm-hmm. and I remember people and places and experiences and it, of those three things probably it's people that come yeah, first yeah and I remember the the relationships I have and my the friends I had there and the friends I still have and yeah. the ones I have forever and I think that's a real it's a real privilege in some ways you know what I mean absolutely yeah mm. absolutely yeah never forgotten well Jess thank you so much for spending some time with us today and for sharing your experience what a fascinating experience an extraordinary time you spent in Japan Thank you so much for the invitation to talk about it. It's been a while since I've spoken about it. Well, Jess, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you. And um, if you'd like to hear more um, about Drum Tao, please go to their website, go to YouTube, and you can be absolutely inspired and now also know the backstory of all the effort that's gone into their amazing performances. Wow, that was absolutely fascinating. Thanks go out to Jess for spending the time to to talk to me and to share her experience with all of us. I know it was almost 20 years ago and, and things may have changed, but it still offered an incredible insight into a part of Japan that, that isn't often seen. And I don't know about you, but it made me think about my cultural biases and the assumptions I have about the nature of teamwork and dedication, etc. It was just fascinating. Jess's story is going to stay with me for a long time. And I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you got a lot out of it. And I also hope that you can join us next time for another insight into Hidden Japan. Talking of Hidden Japan, make sure you go to their website for information about about tours that will help you see Japan differently. Please also remember to subscribe to this podcast, to tell your friends, to leave us a comment. And as a new podcast, your feedback really means a lot to us. Most of all, thank you so much for your time today. And we hope to uh, welcome you again 
to the Hidden Japan podcast. Domo, arigatou gozaimashita.